My son turned 10 just the other day. He said, thanks for the ball, Dad. Come on, let's play. Can you teach me to throw? I said, not today. Got a lot to do. He said, that's okay. And he walked away, but his smile never dimmed. He said, I'm going to be like him, yeah. You know I'm going to be like him. And the cat's in the cradle and the silver spoon, the little boy blue and the man on the moon. When you coming home, Dad, I don't know when, but we'll get together then. You know we'll have a good time then. Well, today we continue with our series in uh, the most famous Psalms. And so we've been going through the Psalms. Uh, last week we did Psalm 91. Uh, this week we're going to do Psalm 90. Uh, so we're going to bit backwards a little bit. Uh, but we're going to go through it. It's a powerful Psalm. But our question as we open the text is this. How do we live our days with wisdom knowing that we have a limited amount of time here on earth? How might we live so that when at the end of our lives, whenever that might be, if we are given the chance to look back and reflect on the days that we have lived, how might we live in such a way that at that moment we think, you know what, sure, I made mistakes and I messed up and my life wasn't perfect, but I did my best with God's help to live by the things that mattered most. So we're going to jump right into the text, Psalm 90, <clears throat> and uh, we'll put it up there on the screen. If you've got your Bible, you can open it up and let me note a few things as we begin. So one of the unique things about um, Psalm 90 is it's called a prayer of Moses. That's the superscription, the man of God. So that's one of the things that makes it unique because this is the only psalm ascribed specifically to Moses as the author. Now last week I made the case, uh, based on the insights of some others, that Psalm 91, even though it's anonymous, may well uh, be written by Moses, but this is the only one that's specifically ascribed to Moses. So this is a long time ago. We're talking like 3,500 years ago, and um, the phrase man of God is interesting. That's a very amazing title. Uh, it's used about 76 times in the Old Testament, quite often about prophets, quite often about Moses himself, and so that sets the context a little bit. And so verse 1, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. And so these first verses, as they often do, kind of set the tone for the rest of the psalm. It's interesting that he says that God is their dwelling place. Because remember, if this is Moses, and he has he is, he is liberated the Hebrews from slavery in Egypt, and so for a long time they're wandering as nomads through the wilderness. So their dwelling place is not a structure, it's not a house. It's not some building, it's not an apartment. It's as if he's saying, we've, we've been wandering, and our dwelling place is none other than you, Lord, in, in your everlasting arms. And so he's acknowledging that. And then he starts talking about, you know, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. And I think he's just kind of casting some of that big picture perspective for us. Uh, there are moments when we go out in nature, especially, and we see the... You know, we're at the top of a mountain, the hiking trail, and you can look for miles. You know those beautiful vistas where you can see in the, you know, this panoramic view, and you can see rivers, maybe a town in the distance. You can see far, and in those moments, uh, you just see how amazing and beautiful and big and grand creation is. Or maybe you're out in the middle of the night, and you, know, you look at the stars in the sky. It's like God has just sprinkled the sky with stars like someone might sprinkle sprinkles on a birthday cake. You know, it's so amazing. Um, this creation. So I think Moses is casting kind of some of that big picture vision right here. John Glenn, who was an astronaut, 
uh, later became a senator as well, says, to look at this kind of creation out here from space and not believe in God is impossible. He just sees the grandeur and the beauty. And that's the vision that's being cast by Moses right here at the start. Verse 3, you, God, return man to the dust and say, return, O children of man. And so right out of the gate in the first three verses, we're being told about the eternity, the power of God, and then contrasted with that is the brevity or the shortness of human uh, life. And this verse actually echoes Genesis 3.19, and it's something that I and other pastors will say at a graveside service for someone we care about, ashes to ashes, dust to dust. You are dust, and to dust you shall return. And of course, we know that in Christ, that death is not the end. We go on to live forever with him in heaven. Um, But when we say that, it's it's a reminder that our physical bodies, our physical time on earth is limited. And that is very visceral and real in those moments. Continuing in verse 4, For a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. You sweep them away as with a flood. They're like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed. In the evening it fades and withers. Okay, so this is one of the most famous verses uh, in, in the psalm. For a thousand years in your sight are as but yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. One of the places that comes up, and this phrase is used in various places, but in uh, the Apostle Peter, in 2 Peter uh, chapter 3, verse eight, uh, 18, sorry, verse 8, you know, there's a conversation about the return of Jesus. Why is it taking so long for Jesus to return and to fix everything? And Peter explains that you know, God's timing is different. God is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness, but he's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but come to repentance. So the idea is that God works on a bit of a different timetable. The reason it seems like a delay to us is because God is patient, wants more people to come and and to know who he is before he actually does return as judge and savior. And so I think Peter is alluding to this verse here, but the idea is like a thousand years in God's sight are just like a day for us. Now think of that for a moment. Think of our lives. How many stages and things that occur through our lives? Um, you're born, you become a toddler, first day of school, there's birthday parties, and um, you, you meet people, you have family dynamics, and things happen, you get older, you get your license, you go off to college. Like There's so many stages throughout all of life. To God, it's like that. Instantaneous. Or think about something you're really looking forward to. Um, it's a week away. Uh, or six days away, and you think, oh, I just can't wait. I'm going to get together with some people from college on Saturday night. It's going to be great. We're going to have a bonfire. We're going to meet at so-and-so's house, and you know, Jimmy's going to bring his guitar like he used to do, and it's going to be so amazing. And you just haven't seen these people in such a long time. You're so excited, and that week seems so long. Um, in some respects, you know, you have to go to work on Wednesday and then Thursday, you know, one of the kids is sick. And then Friday, you realize you have no groceries and you have to navigate the chaos at Costco to get something. Like, all this stuff happens. A day for us is like a thousand years to God. It passes by like that. Six days, a thousand years go by in a snap to God. Okay. Verse 7, for we are brought to an end by your anger. By your wrath, we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. So here he's talking about sins, secret sins. Okay, sometimes we do things or even have thoughts that we know we shouldn't, which go against the commands of God. And we think that because no one else sees that God doesn't see, but of course God is not tricked. Everything is before the sight of God. 
Verse 9, for all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. Now, I think what's going on here is, remember, this is Moses. And so Moses has led those Hebrews through the wilderness. And he's done, God's done incredible things uh, for the Hebrews. And they keep doubting him. They keep sinning, right? It's like, God, you know, it would have been better for us to be left back in Egypt. And so God provides for them. He guides them through the wilderness as they head to the promised land. A pillar, you know, a cloud by day, a pillar of fire by night. We're hungry, here's miraculous food. We're thirsty, here's some miraculous water. And they still keep sinning against God, and they die in their sin. So perhaps that was in the back of Moses' mind as he pens this. Continuing at verse 10, the years of our life are 70, or even by reason of strength, 80. Yet this span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone, and we fly away. Now, these are averages, 70, 80. Those are still kind of in the neighborhood of Canadian averages today. Sometimes it's shorter, sometimes it's longer. Jesus only lived 33 years in his physical life on earth. Moses will live to be 120, right? So there, are, there is a, there's some variation there. And yet their span, the course of our life, is often full of toil and trouble. And this is part of the, one of the reasons. This is called a lament psalm or a psalm of sadness, calling out to God for his help in the midst of their woes, whatever they happen to be. Verse 11, who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? Verse 12, and this is key, which is why it's highlighted. We will return to it at the end. So in light of all this, in light of your eternity, in light of the shortness of our life, so therefore God, teach us to number our days that we may gain or get a heart of wisdom. And so the idea here is that God, in light of your eternity, remind us that our days are so short that we will not waste them and fritter them away with things which don't or shouldn't command such a huge amount of our time, attention, money, energy, everything, priorities. Teach us to number our days, to know the shortness of our life so that we'll be wise in the here and now and not foolish. Thomas Akempis, the spiritual writer, says that we should do this, live that death will never take you unprepared. I think that's good. Live that death may never take you unprepared so that one day when that death comes, and it comes for us all at some point, then in that moment we will not be filled with regret. We will not look back on our lives and think, you know what, I skipped all the things that mattered most. So we want to be prepared. We want to know the Lord. We want to be living in a way that is consistent with Him. Verse 13, return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love, that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us for, and, and for as many years as we have seen evil. Right? So they're going through difficulty and hardship, and we certainly know that from history, but he's saying something that probably a lot of us feel. Tip the scales a little bit. Bring the balance back. If we had had this many days of trial, give us this many days of gladness. If we have had this many tears, give us this many laughs. He's asking for balance. Verse 16, let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God, the favor or beauty of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Okay, so what does it mean to establish the work of our hands? Well, um, it's really about success. 
Establish the work of our hands. Remember, these people are, you know, for a large portion of their life, they're nomads, and so they're going through. So establishing the work, the work that we have spent our lives doing, and so this isn't about making houses or structures or building up bank accounts. They're, they're nomads, for goodness sakes. So what is he talking about? Well, he's talking about being successful in a very specific way. It's interesting that in verses 13 and 16, after telling us to, you know, God teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom, he calls himself and others servants. And so success is servanthood. Okay. Success is servanthood. Make us successful, Lord, in those ways. This is the word of the Lord. Well, he came from college just the other day. So much like a man, I just had to say, son, I'm proud of you. Can you sit for a while? He shook his head and he said with a smile, what I'd really like, Dad, is to borrow the car keys. See you later. Can I have them, please? And the cat's in the cradle and the silver spoon. The little boy blue and the man in the moon. When you coming home, son, I don't know when. We'll get together then, Dad. You know we'll have a good time then. All right, so as we come to the end of Psalm 90, I want to focus in on one specific point that we're going to extrapolate out of this to do with wisdom. And it's the wisdom is doing what's right with the time you have left. Okay? Wisdom is doing what's right with the time you have left. Now, let me just unpack this a little bit because I think it's central to the teaching we receive from Psalm 90. So wisdom, that's a big word. What is wisdom? And as you talk about people out in the world, they will have different definitions, understandings of what wisdom is. And they'll say, okay, it's something about knowledge and applying that knowledge and experience and using it over time. And there's some truth in all of that. Now, the Bible has some very specific things to say about wisdom. First of all, the beginning of wisdom, okay? So it's about knowledge of God. Knowledge of God is the beginning of wisdom. Of the fear of the Lord, as it is said, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So appreciating the, the reverence and the holiness and the character and the goodness of God. So that's the beginning of wisdom. Knowledge of the Holy One is insight, Proverbs 9, verse 10. So that's kind of the start of it. And then Jesus himself actually gives us the definition of wisdom in Matthew chapter 7, verse 24. It's amazing. This is often skipped over, part of the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus defines wisdom as basically hearing his words and doing them. It's very specific, very succinct. That's what wisdom is. It's hearing, listening to the words of Jesus and doing them. Okay, so with that understanding of wisdom, we're kind of going to focus it a bit more based on Psalm 90, verse 12. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom or get a heart of wisdom. So if that's what wisdom is, we also have to bring in this other component that we don't have an unlimited amount of time on earth. Because the reality is, is that we're going to die at some point. And here's the thing, we don't know when that will be. You know, it could be 70 years, could be 80, could be 90, maybe it's 120 like Moses. We simply do not know. And I don't mean to be morbid here, but maybe someone's going to die tomorrow. Or the week after that, or five years, or 10 years, or 50 years. We simply don't know. But the thing is, is that in our minds, when we put off some of the things that matter most, when we procrastinate in this sense, we are actually living as if we have an unlimited amount of time. And no one would actually cognitively admit to that. But when we put off the things that matter most, isn't that exactly what we are doing? We are living as if we have an unlimited amount of time, but it really could happen for any of us. And so wisdom is doing what's right with the time that you have left. 
Because what we don't want to have happen is one day, let's say that, you know, we know that the end is here and it's close and we look back on our life and we're filled with regret because we realize that God has called us to live in a certain type of way which is good and blesses people. And although this hardship fills us with a sense of purpose, meaning, and joy, and we have, we have intentionally not chosen to live that way. Kyle Edelman is a, a pastor, and he was doing some teaching on regret. And he came across this website that lists, uh, well, it, it's there for the, for the very therapeutic purpose, in some cases, of people uploading things that they have regretted through their lives. Here's some of the things that were on that website. It's called Secret Regrets. One person says, I regret complaining about us walking too slowly and you leaning on me for balance. It was so much harder for you being handicapped. I was just a kid and I'm sorry, Mom. Someone else said, I regret that I never told you kids I love you when you were growing up. I regret that for some reason I still can't say those words. Someone else, I regret that I was a self-centered mother who didn't let you help me in the kitchen because I didn't want it to get messy. Someone else, I regret that I never saved any money and I'll never be able to retire. Someone else, and this could be read in a variety of ways, in a variety of situations, I regret that I didn't fight for us. Someone else, I regret how much time I spent complaining and criticizing. Hmm. There could be so many more that would add to that list. Jim Rohn is a motivational speaker. Uh, He's also an entrepreneur and he says this, there's two types of pain in the world. There's the pain of short-term discipline, and there's the pain of long-term regret. Here's what he means. The pain of short-term discipline is the pain of making decisions and priorities, exercising self-control, and and making changes in your life to live by those priorities. That can be painful sometimes. That's one thing, but that's better than what he contrasts it with. There's the pain of long-term regret, not doing those things, and one day realizing there's a problem and I've missed out to live in a way that is wise. Now, as we say this, I just want to highlight that we're talking very specifically about a certain type of wisdom, living out in a certain way. There's very different things that you could be a blessing to others and and live in a way that is wise with the time you have left, but I specifically want to talk about servanthood. And the reason I want to do that is because Moses goes out of his way to say that in the text. So after he says in verse 12, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom, What he does is he mentions the fact that he and the people around him are servants twice, verse 13 and verse 16. And so I think this has encouraged us to think about, okay, wisdom is doing what's right in servanthood with the time that you have left, praising and serving God specifically. Speaking about the time we have left, sometimes one of the things you hear at funerals or memorials or celebrations of life, whatever you want to call it, if someone's up here and they're giving a eulogy and they're talking about someone they care about and they love, they will sometimes quote a lesser known verse from the mouth of Jesus. It's Matthew 25, verse 23. Uh, Well done, good and faithful servant. Think how amazing that would be. One day after you pass away from your time on earth and you go up to the gates of heaven and you, you meet the Lord, wouldn't it be amazing if the words that you heard were well done, good and faithful servant? It's all connected to the idea of being a servant. Each of those words is connected to how that sentence ends, servants. Well done, why? Because you're a servant. Why are you good? Because you're a servant. Why are you faithful? Because you are a servant. 
And so what I'd simply like us to do as we kind of bring this to a close is I'd like us to just think about how we are prioritizing servanthood in our lives. Wisdom is doing what's right with the time you have left. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Are we, verses 13 and 16, are we prioritizing servanthood? And it will look different for different people, right? So this isn't just about some sort of template. God has given each person different gifts or energies or talents or time, whatever it happens to be. And we also have different opportunities that come our way. Some people have different opportunities. They live in different towns. They're at a different stage of life. Things will come along. Are we proactively seizing opportunities to serve God and to be a blessing to other people? Or are we procrastinating? And we will, will we forego the short-term pain of discipline in favor of the long-term pain of regret? We want to be successful. Well, success is servanthood. I've long since retired, my son's moved away. I called him up just the other day. I said, I'd like to see you if you don't mind. He said, I'd love to, Dad, if I can find the time. You see, my new job's a hassle and the kids have the flu, but it's been sure nice talking to you, Dad. It's been sure nice talking to you. As I hung up the phone, it occurred to me, he'd grown up just like me. My boy was just like me. And the cat's in the cradle and the silver spoon. Little boy blue and the man on the moon. When you're coming home, son, I don't know when. But we'll get together then, Dad. We're going to have a good time then. So, of course, I've been going through this uh, sermon uh, with different verses from that song, Cat's in the Cradle. Many of you know it. Uh, written by Harry and Sandy Chapin. Written, performed by him also. I think Cat Stevens had a version as well. And certain songs are written, and they just capture the imagination of people through time, and they kind of go through life cycles, and they fade away, and they come back. And that's one of the ones that keeps coming back. And part of the reason for that is because it strikes a chord. And the chord it strikes is about you know, doing what matters and not pushing it off. And that's about a family context, but I'd like us to think about it in a much broader context, about the family of Christ, about um, life in general. Teach us to number our days, Lord, that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Wisdom is doing what's right with the time you have left. Let's live wisely as servants of Christ. And let's one day, on the gates of heaven, hear those words. Well done, good and faithful servant. Amen.